All right, good morning, Crest Chapel. Good morning to all of you worshiping with us, no matter what venue you're in, uh, especially Granbury, good to see you there, and all of you joining us online. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, and I am certainly thankful for all of those who have put their lives on the line and laid down their life for us so that we have uh, the freedom to enjoy worshiping uh, the Lord uh, and according to his word. So super thankful uh, for those people that made those sacrifices and the families that continue to sacrifice with the loss of loved ones. But it being Memorial Day weekend also means that many of you are done with school if you were in school. And I hope that you are good with the grades that you received because you'll live with them for the summer uh, before you get an opportunity to redeem yourself. Uh, I certainly was encouraged to make good grades when I was younger. And one of the ways I was encouraged to get good grades was I was handed a VHS set of tapes that is called uh, Where There's a Will there's an A. I don't know if you guys remember this. Uh, th this, this thing that tried to encourage these A-plus study habits. Uh, I'm sure there were wonderful study habits in there. I didn't watch the VHS tapes uh, all the way through. Um, I wasn't a very good student uh, back then. But, uh, you know, I was encouraged to do it. But the, the idea, uh, you know, that, that's just a play off of the phrase, where there's a will, there's a way. And you, you've heard that phrase before. And, and it's all this idea that it, as long as you have enough uh, grit, as long as you have enough determination, as, you, as long as you have enough drive, you can accomplish whatever you want to. Just set your mind to it. If you, if you set your will to it, then you will make a way. And that's applied not only to grades for people in the past, but people have applied that motivational phrase to dreams and aspirations and goals. It doesn't matter what it's been. You've probably been told that before in your own life of, you know, just stick to it. Where there's a will, there's a way. You can accomplish anything. Here's my question. Is that true? Is, now I know I'm going to steal some motivational thunder, and if this has been your driving force, I apologize, okay? But I just don't think that that's always true. That if I will something, I can't will something into existence. I, I, I can't have the will to, to do things that God doesn't want me to do or to be something that God doesn't want me to be. I'll give you an illustration. I grew up wanting to play in the English Premier League Soccer League. Like, that, that was my goal. It's the highest, highest level league that you can play in in the world. That was my aspiration. That was my goal. And I set my will to it. This is what I was going to do. And then when I was in eighth grade, I went to a soccer camp at SMU, and they, and they had a Division I team, and the coaches of the particular little teams were players on that team. And I remember walking up to my coach, and it looked like God had implanted a grapefruit on the back of his leg for a calf muscle. And I looked at him, and at that moment, I realized God did not make all men equal. It didn't matter how many calf raises I did, I was never going to get that calf. Th there were just people built differently than me. I was never going to make it to the English Premier League. Didn't matter how much my will wanted to accomplish, not as a player, maybe as a you know, manager or something like that. But I could never play. I, that's just not who God made me to be. He had a different will for me. 
He was going to make a different way for me. You see, because God's will is the only will that cannot be thwarted. I, I can have my own will, but I don't have the power to will anything into existence. Only God does. So what that means is, I think we should know what God's will is. And I think we should align our will to his will because only his will is unstoppable and he will always make a way for his will to be accomplished. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 42. Uh, It's page 913, 913 if you're opening a blue Bible, no matter what venue you're in. And we're continuing our series on uh, Power of a Changed Life as we walk through the book of Acts. And we've seen God do some very miraculous things to accomplish his will all the way through the book of Acts. And the reason why you've seen these miraculous things take place throughout the beginning of the book of Acts is because God's will was that they would be, the apostles and the disciples would be his witness. They would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're still in that Jerusalem time where they're being his witnesses there. But he's done some miraculous things to accomplish his will, to empower them to be his witnesses. That's why he gives them the Holy Spirit. That's why the the lame man is healed in Acts chapter 3. He wants to accomplish his will. Now, I know when I bring up the subject of God's will, uh, that certainly piques my interest and I think piques a lot of people's interest, especially if you're a graduating student, you go, what is God's will? I want to know. You know, I've got the entire world in front of me. What what should I be doing? And I think we all want to know what his will is. So I am going to give you a three and a half minute crash course on God's will. Okay, I put this on your sermon notes, but this is really important for us to understand what we're going to study in Acts chapter 5. And so in understanding God's will, the first thing you need to understand is God's will includes his preordained purpose to glorify himself by redeeming mankind from sin. One aspect of God's will is his purpose that cannot be thwarted. And his purpose is to glorify himself. One of the chief ways that he does that, primary ways that he does that, is by redeeming humankind from sin. And obviously he does that through the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus, who shed his blood for you and for me so that we could place our trust in him, the sinless substitute for our sinful souls. That, that's that's the, the good news, that's the gospel, is there is a way to be made right with God. And he preordained that since the foundation of the earth. That, that's what Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10 talks about. I don't have time to go through all of these verses, so please go back and read them, and I'm going to even give you a few more to jot down in a second. But in Ephesians chapter 1, if you go back and read it later on, it says that, that God redeems us through Christ, which was always a part of his plan, which he enacted at the fullness of time. And Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, this idea of the fullness of time. I had this plan, and I enacted it at the exact right time. When, when, when the circumstances came into being that I thought, this is, this is it. Why? Because that fit with his preordained 
purpose. So God's will includes a purpose. The second aspect is it includes his desire. God's will includes his desire that every person would be saved from sin and glorify himself. That's what a a person's will, when you think about this, uh, your will includes your desire, God, no different. God's desire is that everyone would come to know him. That's why he gave his son so that it made a way for his will to be accomplished so that everybody could come to him. That's what 1 Timothy tells us, 1 Timothy 2, 4, and 5, that he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of him. So it starts with us glorifying him starts with our right relationship with God. And then once we enter into that right relationship, that salvific relationship with God, now we spend the rest of our lives glorifying him. That's his desire. That's his will is that we would glorify him with our lives. You can go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, where it says, God's will is that you would be sanctified. And then it goes on to say things like avoiding sexual immorality. So that's his will. That's his desire is that you would glorify him in those ways. And we understand what those ways are through his word. If you go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know and be able to test and approve what God's will is for you, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. So your life comes into alignment with God when you understand his word, and that that is not congruent with the world. That is different. That's that's what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have everything you need to live out the will of God in your everyday life. He's given you everything that you need. And so his will includes his preordained purpose and his desire. And we see those things combine and collide here in Acts and in our everyday lives too because God's purpose and desire is that we would represent him. That's his purpose for us and that's his desire is that we would be his witnesses. Remember, that's the whole premise to Acts You will be my witnesses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that's why he empowers us with the Holy Spirit to fulfill his will, where we see his preordained purpose meet his desire. So, and by the way, um, just very quickly, this is an aside when we talk about God's will, um, keep these things in mind when you are asking yourself and praying about what God's will is for your life. I think, I think these things are very helpful where you understand what his preordained purpose is, that is Christ. What his desire is for you is to glorify him. And as you're praying about decisions in your life, uh, here's usually the two categories that these things fall into. They either fall into clarity or choice. That God gives you clarity on what he has called you to do and what those next steps are. And sometimes God gives you the choice. And he says, Go A A side or B side and glorify me. Represent me. You you have a choice. When, when, When I woke up this morning, God, what color shirt do you want me to wear? God says, you have a choice. Go glorify me. Put on a shirt and go glorify me. There are things in your life where where as you pray, God might give you clarity. And he also might give you choice. And, And that's a wonderful thing. 
So go glorify him because his will and his desire meets when you just represent him. When you live lives that are holy and set apart as unto him. And he's going to make a way for that to happen, for you to always represent him. And so what I want to do is I want to go back now, now that we've laid a foundation of God's will, we're going to go back through Acts chapter 5, and I want to show you what God's will is for you and for me, and how that played out in those apostles' lives then, and how he made a way for his will to be accomplished. And I'll give you some applications throughout. So let's begin in verse 17. I want you to see that God's will is that you represent him regardless of circumstances. God's will is that you represent him regardless of circumstances. Let me give you some context to what is going on here. And you can look at this. I I hope you opened Bibles because we'll be referencing this again. It's page 913 if you're opening one of those blue Bibles. But in verses 12 to 16, if you go go back and you look at that, it says that uh, many signs and wonders were being done among the people by the hands of the apostles. But these were signed gifts that were given specifically uh, during the apostolic area, specifically to the apostles. And they were doing these signs. Why? So that they would see the miraculous things that happened and they could point to God. And, and it gave them an opportunity to share about who Jesus was, about his power. That's why these things are going on. And then all of a sudden, uh, it says many people are coming to them. And then all of a sudden, the religious leaders don't take a liking to what is going on, which I know this sounds very familiar uh, to what we've been studying. If you look back at verse 17, it says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. Now, this sounds very similar to things that were going on with Peter and John. If you look back at Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, remember, they heal the, the lame man. The lame man is healed by faith in the name of Jesus. They don't do it. It's through them. But they offer that hand. The, the guy gets up in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And they, they do this miraculous sign, similar to what just, we just read in the context. And the religious leaders don't like that. And so they call them in and they arrest them. Do you remember this? Okay, good. So, I mean, I want you to sense the repetition here because the same thing is going on. It just that now it is expanded. It's not just Peter and John that are arrested. Now it's all the apostles are arrested and they're put into a public prison. And this public idea means that they would have been seen by all. The religious leaders are putting them in here to, to shame them, essentially. That's why they're putting them in this public prison. But they were just being faithful. They were just doing exactly what God called them to do when they were arrested. Was that the case the first time with Peter and John? Absolutely. They were just doing what God called them to do. They were just being faithful with what God had asked them to do, carrying out their calling in Christ. And they're thrown in prison for it. Sounds like a bad thing to happen. Now, here's, this is, this is just a kind of a, another aside quickly, but please, please, please be careful trying to read the tea leaves of your circumstances and equating your circumstances to God's will. 
Because if they're reading those tea leaves and they go, every time we try to do something for Jesus, we get thrown into prison. They would think, are we doing something wrong? That, that's, what they, that's, what I, that's what Cody would think, is I'm doing something wrong if I always negative consequences every time I talk about Jesus. You got to be really careful in equating your circumstances to being in the center of God's will. Because there are some times where you are dead center in God's will, right in the middle of it, and chaos is swirling around you. And you're exactly where God wants you to be. That's okay. Don't, don't lose heart. Don't, don't grow weary. You're right where you need to be. Now, sometimes chaos is swirling around you because you're in sin. Let's just be honest. And you need to get out of that situation. Okay? You, you've got to discern that will of God and understand, are you in the will of God? Are you in sin? Now, sometimes you go, I think I've done everything. God, my conscience is clear. My heart is, is pure, as pure as it can be in Jesus. I think I'm doing everything in chaos. Great. Stand firm. Stand firm. Ephesians chapter 6. But as you assess your heart and you say, I always pray that Psalm 139, 23, and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If he searches my heart and sees if there's any offensive way in me, then he will lead me into his way. So forgive me in my sins, and if he doesn't lead me anywhere out, then I'm right in the center of God's will. So just be careful. I know that's an aside, but be careful. And by the way, just because it's really hard does not mean it's God's will either. <laughs> if you're going, this is the hardest thing that I've ever done, that must be God's will. Or it could just be foolish. I don't know. You, you've got to pray and discern that with God yourself. Because sometimes I've prayed and asked God, you know, what is your next step? And I've prayed for something very specific and it works out. Like, like sometimes, like almost just like I prayed, and I'm like, God, this seems too easy. And God goes, isn't that what you prayed for? We forget that God is good. Don't, don't forget. Like he's good. And, and don't take his answers to prayer for granted. And you go, I don't want to step into that. That's too easy. That must not be your will. And he's going, that's an answer to prayer. I know I might be thoroughly confusing you when it comes to God's will, but I just think there are some guardrails that you need to have as you discern God's next steps. But one thing that is sure is that he wants you to represent him regardless of the circumstances, positive or negative. If you're high, if you're low, if you're healthy, if you're sick, if you're employed, if you're unemployed, if you're in a relationship, if you're out of a relationship, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. He wants you to represent him. So the application for us is this. Be faithful even if circumstances seem bleak. Just continue to be faithful. Be faithful doing the last thing that God called you to do. Be faithful with the things that you know God has called you to do. You know what God has called you to do. You know that he's called you to keep in step with the spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Just go back to that. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. Contrast the life lived in the spirit and the life lived in the flesh. And go, I'm not supposed to do that. I know I'm supposed to keep in step with the Spirit. Let me yield my life to Him. 
Just go, just go back to those things and remain faithful to him because God will make a way for his will to be accomplished in your circumstances, even when it doesn't appear like it's going to be. If you look back at verse, go back to verse 19 and look at that. As they're in prison, it says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I love that phrase, this life. He's talking about Jesus. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I mean, I love it. It's like this angel just appears on the scene. It's like, you know, you know, go back and do what you guys were supposed to be doing. Okay. You know, and they just walk out and they just walk right back into the, the, the city center here and start, start preaching into the temple courts. Just go back to it. They're just faithful. They're just continuing to be faithful. Do what God has called to represent him. That's the calling that we all have. And I love how he sets them free in a very miraculous way to do that. Which, by the way, one more aside. I won't do any more, I promise. Okay? Going back to prayers answered. Uh, some of you have prayed that God would give you a get out of jail free card and get you out of a jam. And you have said something to the effect of, God, if you just get me out of this jam, then I will always follow you. I'll never go do this, I'll never do You need to fulfill that promise. He did not set you free for you to go and fulfill your own will. Your own will is probably what got you in that jam in the first place. He's setting you free to go and do his will, just like he did with the apostles here. He opens that gate and sets you free. Now go fulfill his will. Go represent him. Okay, second thing. When we talk about God's will, you, I want you to see here that God's will is that you represent him regardless of acceptance. Regardless of acceptance. So we're supposed to represent him regardless of circumstances and the things going on around us and also represent him regardless of acceptance. You know, as I told you, this narrative follows the same structure where they're being faithful to represent Jesus. The religious leaders don't like it. They throw them into prison and then they're, they're set, set free uh, essentially. Uh, but they're, they're following that same thing. If you look at verses 27 to 29, it says, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, didn't we strictly charge you not to teach in this name? Like, didn't you hear us the first time? Yet here you have uh, filled in Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Very similar to exactly what Peter said back in chapter 4, verse 19, when he says, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. One of the things I love about this when we talk about acceptance and circumstances, and I know there's a, a collision of those two things in this passage. One of the things that I love is what it says in verse 26. Look at what it says in verse 26. How did the apostles get brought in under trial? 
There's a, there's a small little phrase there. I didn't do a good job asking the question. But in verse 26, they are brought in not by force. I love that. They're, they're brought in not by force. Why? Because they're going, here's an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Here's, here's an opportunity. You want to ask me questions? Great. I'm wide open. They don't go kicking and screaming. They don't say, oh, this must not be God's will. They just go in without force and go, you don't accept it? That, that not being accepted, that message of not being accepted is an opportunity to be able to tell of what we have seen and what we have heard. Here's the application for us. Be consistent even if your message is not welcome. Be consistent even if your message is not welcome. Just be consistent. Be consistent with your words. When we are called to represent him, and we've talked about what this word witness means, it literally means just telling of what you know. What has Jesus done in your life? Just, just tell that. He has not, God has, has not called you to be the answer woman and to have all the answers to everybody's questions. You, you can't. There are some things that you will never know. There's some things that, that we will never know that, because they're only in the mind and will of God. And we won't know those until we see him face to face. You're not called to be the answer person, but you are called to be. Here's how he, just be consistent. I don't have an answer to that question, but here's what I'll tell you. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was blind and now I see. I was depressed and now I have joy. I was anxious and now I have peace. I was this way and Jesus intercepted me right there in the middle and he rescued me and now I'm different. It's, it's your story. It's your, it's your story. Nobody can, can all right, just be consistent in telling of what you've seen and heard. And then second, not only be consistent in your words, but be consistent in your life. And Ted mentioned this last week when we talked about uh, this idea of integrity and the value of the early church, and we certainly uh, want to live that out uh, today uh, in our own church of having that integrity. But your words have to match your life, and that adds credibility to the message. But you need to show that your words match your life, especially when you're suffering, especially when you're suffering. Because everybody can be happy-go-lucky. Everybody can recite Bible verses when things are going really well. Everybody can tell, you know, people turn to, turn to Christ when you are living on cloud nine. But do you tell people to turn to Christ when you're in the valley of the shadow to death? When you're suffering, you go, he's the only hope I got. And you know what? He's leading me. You see, you've got to follow him with your life even when following him with your life is hard. Even when you're not at the top of the mountain. I read a quote as I was preparing that I just thought was really good. It says, Christians are called to the hardest of all tasks, to fight without hatred, to resist without bitterness, and in the end, if God grant it, to triumph without vindictiveness. I thought that's really true that just continuing to be gracious and humble 
and kind and generous in the midst of tough times when circumstances seem bleak, when it doesn't seem like people are accepting and you feel like you're alone, continuing to exhibit the character of Christ adds an incredible amount of credibility to your message, to the message about who Jesus is to you. And you see that in the apostles' lives here. I mean, they just seem rock steady, just rock steady in fulfilling their own calling of representing Jesus. And the reason why I say they seem rock steady is because the passage doesn't mention their emotions at all. And you go, well, that's not a good case. Well, let's look at the different emotions that the Sadducees have. If you look back in verse 17, it says the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Verse 24, they were greatly perplexed. They were befuddled. In verse 26, it says that they were afraid. I mean, th those, are, those are terrible emotions. And we don't have any of those emotions ascribed to the apostles. They're just, I'm being faithful, I'm being consistent. Just, be, just doing what God called me to do. Come what may. That, that's, that's what they are called to do. And you go, where do they get this calm? Where, where do they get this collectedness, this obedience, this faithfulness? Well, I love what Peter says here. When in verse 31, if you look back at verse 31, when it says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This word leader is an interesting word to me. This word leader is actually the word prince. It means the, the originator, the, the author. And we see this brought back around by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, many of you probably know that verse. Remember, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, enduring its shame, right? But if you keep going, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How are they able to remain cool and collected? They're following the prince of peace. They're following him, not getting in a tizzy, not worried if circumstances seem bleak, not worried about who will accept their message. And I think this is a great encouragement to me, especially in our world today, and I want to admonish you with this, Christian. Be hopeful because God will always make a way for his will to be accomplished. Be hopeful. Don't lose hope. God will always make a way for his will to be accomplished. And sometimes it comes out of left field. And it comes out of left field uh, here. I, I want to I go back and I want to read. Uh, if you'll look at it, I want to begin in verse 33. Because uh, I, I want you to see what happens. Because this comes out of a completely unexpected place that God makes a way for his will to be accomplished through the apostles. Begin with me in verse 33. After Peter preaches on behalf of the apostles, it says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That was the Sadducees. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders and put the men outside for a little while. Gamaliel, by the way, is a Pharisee. Pharisees and Sadducees do not get along. 
And they're on trial with the Sadducees. Remember I told you those are two different sects, um, like two different denominations today. Uh, so they don't get along. So the fact that Gamaliel is speaking up to the Sadducees is crazy. This is like uh, bipartisanship, okay? They're, they're like going to come to an agreement on something. You're like, I didn't know that could happen. This is miraculous, okay? Verse 35, and Gamaliel said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him, but he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Somebody rose up, thought they were somebody. The movement turned to nothing. Verse 37, after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. But guess what? He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is of the undertaking of a man, then it will fail. If this is man's will, it won't last long. But... If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So, take, so, he, so they took this advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council doing what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day of the temple court. And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. I mean, unbelievable. Christian, do not lose heart. We are gathered today. We are reading his word because a man did not bring this message. God did. This was not man's will, this was God's will, and God's will is unstoppable. In fact, the more it is tried to be squashed, the more that it spreads. It's unbelievable the way that God's will works. So let's align our will to his, and no matter how bleak things may seem today, when it seems like you are alone, when it seems like no one's in your corner, he is. He is in your corner, and he will make a way for his will to be accomplished. So align your will to his will. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it encourages me. Lord God, would you encourage all of us to not lose hope? to not grow weary or faint-hearted, but let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and also the perfecter of our faith, who began a good work in us, and as you say, will carry it on to completion. So, Lord God, may we yield ourselves to you and sense the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us to be your witnesses, to represent you with lives that are set apart, set apart as unto you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.